really wild the way those two are grabbing Antonio, isn't it? Hey, you three, wait for us. Hi, what took you so long? <laughs> Hi. What would you say if we decided to let you have a go Hello, here? Antonio. Hello, very well. And what about your lovely companion? Angela, this is Antonio. Our gardener, tennis ace, and the best piece of property the club owns. Stop it, Inga. That's not all. As a lover, he's fantastic. Antonio, am I wrong or right? If you really want to see, try me out one night. Habla usted español, señorita? Yes, I speak fluently. Muchas gracias. Arriba España. Buenas noches. Hasta la vista, es mi caro. Is that enough to convince you, senor? You're not bad at all. Why don't we go inside? Yeah, it's cold. <laughs> <laughs> She's always cold. <laughs> A video nasty, 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 a video nasty. Welcome to It's a Nasty World, the podcast all about censored cinema and the video nasties. I am Ashley McNasty, here with my absolutely lovely co-host, Elmo415. Hello, I'm Elmo415, and today we have the Jess Franco classic, Bloody Moon. Yeah, this is uh, a, a, a classic uh, Spanish horror film. I don't know if it's classic here, but more. This falls into Jess Franco, a.k.a. Jesus Franco, uh, one of the most prolific filmmakers of the 20th century, believe it or not. Uh, he is a schlockmeister uh, extraordinaire and has created, uh, I think he has over 200 film credits to his name. Uh, and was it, uh, why don't you read off, you know, I think you have a small list of some of his work. Oh, yeah. So, Jess Franco is responsible for hit films like Lust for Frankenstein, Lulu's Talking Ass, Tender Flesh, and Perversion. So, I mean, this guy really pumps out the classics. Oh, don't forget, you know, the erotic rights of Frankenstein and Vampiros Lesbos. Oh, yeah. Absolute Criterion Collection level greatness. Actually, I am legitimately wondering if he does have anything in the Criterion Collection because it's like, well, I mean, technically all the Criterion Collection is is just a DVD and Blu-ray distributor. So mm. if they get the rights to it, <laughs> I mean... Oh. <laughs> and before we go any further, I have a content warning for us. There's, um, there's a lot of violence, incest, bald voyeurism, and villains in leisure suits. So if any of these subjects make you uncomfortable, you have been duly warned. You know, that's actually something I noted in this. Like, you know what? There's not very many... I th for horror films, I don't think you see very many uh, villains wearing leisure suits in any, of, in any of these in the 70s or early 80s. I think there was one in Don't Go in the House. I think so, yeah. I think, I think our guy was wearing a leisure suit in that, but I don't think he was doing any real killing in it. So it's like... Yeah, it's kind of a weird thing. Like, huh, why did I... Like, for, for the amount of disco that ends up being in these, not a lot of leisure suits. Mm -hmm. This movie's an exception. Yeah, definitely. And, um, yeah, so this one, um, as far as the video nasties, this was a section one, so this was like a... This was a really illegal movie at the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, prosecutable, so... Prosecutable, so... And it's kind of interesting how w whenever we get these, get the really high-budget movies that we review, it's always, like, section three, and then, like, once we get, like, some of the really bizarre avant-garde movies, they're always, like, put in the section one. Should I introduce myself? Oh, that's right, we have a <laughs> surprise guest! Oh, surprise <laughs> guest, uh... 
Introduce Hi. yourself. Hi, this is the mysterious Al returning for a second guest spot on the podcast. Yeah. Watching some trash with these these two experts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, experts in yeah. Uh, strange movies. <laughs> well, that's funny because uh, Jess Franco is a director. We're going to become Jess Franco experts quite soon. <laughs> We're not quite yet because I think he has... I think at least six movies on the video nasty list, and surprise, they strangely enough they have been surprisingly difficult to find for free online. Um, this one, luckily, Bloody Moon is available on uh, what was it the on uh, Tubi and uh, what was the YouTube channel? Oh yeah, Kings of Horror. We um, we actually um, watched this movie on a TV that didn't have Tubi installed, and I found on the Kings of Horror channel on YouTube you can also get this movie for free. So if you are interested in this film. Stream it one of those places, and Al watched it. Uh, watched it with us, so we're gonna go into a little bit of uh, dialogue now about the movie itself. What did y'all think? I thought it was an, it was it was such an incredibly odd film. I mean, it's it wasn't. I mean, it definitely had lulls in certain points, but I wouldn't say it was like an incredibly boring or like painful movie to watch. But just there, there really are certain points where it's like, okay, like. It seems like Jess Franco knows what he's doing, but I have no idea what he's trying to achieve. <laughs> yeah, and uh, what did you think? Well, I thought that the acting wasn't bad. The directing seemed not to be terrible. I think subs would have been better than dubs. Um, but I'm also assuming that the dialogue was written in any comprehensible way. Um which may be overstating things. Yeah. Uh, it was fun to watch, but I will have forgotten about it by next week. Oh, yeah. That is the one thing. I think because, like, the, frankly, the structure and flow of the film is so odd and how they it, they don't really set up or introduce anything in, a, like, <laughs> a, a truly hard way that, like, grounds you in what the hell's happening. It, it becomes, like, a bit like this nebulous floating thing just through experiences throughout this film like okay i guess we're just gonna go along with this and just try to figure out what's happening as it goes and yeah there's the one character who's the the bald voyeur who really is like not very much in the movie we couldn't figure out who he was <laughs> but there's a super memorable scene where he walks up to a woman's window and puts his nose on the glass and like kind of slides it over the window and um so that like really stands out as like okay this this character is going to be important right no not he's really actually not really he shows up one or two more times but not in any significant way no it, it's not even clear it's like oh you think oh maybe he's the killer or, oh maybe he's the killer's accomplice and it's like oh actually doesn't seem like it actually no never mind um it's not even really set up like a red herring either it's just like an odd decision yeah. yeah, yeah, it's just more confusing yeah. than, like, an intentional misdirection. I would I would say that this movie has a certain forgettableness to it, to where I had watched this before Ashley McNasty and Al watched this movie, and I realized when I was watching it, I completely forgot <laughs> about the plot twist at the end of the movie. I was like, oh yeah, that was the plot twist. I was like, 
oh yeah, because I kind of turned it off and kind of forgot about it. Like, I'm glad I have notes about the movie and rewatched it, because... Yeah, if I just tried to go in regularly, I'd be like, uh, I don't really remember what happened in this movie. It's like, there was killings, there was a person, people were speaking Spanish. Um, <laughs> it's like, what, Moorish architecture and the ocean. That's it. <laughs> I feel like this would be a great movie for a kind of chaotic party background. Um, oh, totally. You know, movie. because you don't really need to catch the plot, but there are some things that are fun. And I had a great time, like, just calling out some weirdness about the movie. For example, like, um, the clothes that people wear are so extra in this movie. Yeah. There's, like, this woman wearing a sweatshirt with, like, a cheesecake, like, <laughs> light porno image of a woman and a leopard. Oh, and, yeah. With um, oh, the, the Apple handbag? Yeah, and there's a guy who's wearing, like, a jacket with, like, a Dr. Manhattan, like... Yeah, kind of Dr. Got Manhattan there. by way of H.R. Giger, like, mm -hmm. illustration on the back of, like, this cool leather jacket. It's like, it really is like, oh, this is very specifically 1980s fashion where it's like, okay, it's still kind of the 70s, but it's beginning to be the 80s, and you're kind of seeing this weird mixture of both, and it's also by way of Spain. I think also the clothing was chosen to be very loud. Yeah. For some reason, I feel like even louder than... than at least in the United States, we saw fashion get at that time. Yeah. And because of that kind of extra quality, I feel like it actually does look a bit like streetwear now. Yeah. Um, where it's a lot of graphic designs and mm -hmm. uh, very, very bold stuff, but not... Not easy to date in particular. No, no, it's it's strange. It's it's oddly specific, and especially because like we've watched other horror films from you know the same year from nineteen eighty, where it does have that like oh yeah these are like eighties films that like disco is still very much part of the soundtrack. Seventies mm -hmm. fashion is still very much a part of it, but it's like it doesn't quite yeah have this specific and interesting blend. And then I feel like the fashion the the, the loud choices like actually help add to the aesthetic of the film. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And I would say, especially um, reviewing these video nasties, one thing I've seen a big pattern of in the movies we've reviewed in the past is that since I'm pretty sure the video nasties kind of started early, early 80s and stuff, a lot of the movies that got banned were made in like, between like 1978 and 1983, just kind of like, right when disco was just collapsing, but that you could still see, like, remnants of disco culture inside of these movies, which this one definitely still had a bit of remnants of well, that, Because, like, 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 1980, disco's not dead yet. It's like, it's gonna die really fucking quick, but <laughs> it, it ain't dead yet. So, it's like, and because so many of the slashers kind of came out in the wake in 1980, kind of in the wake of uh, Friday the 13th and Halloween, well, especially Friday the 13th, because that was an even bigger box office hit than uh, Halloween was, and they figured, okay, let's just start doing these on the cheap, pump them out as quickly as we fucking can. And so you just have this glut of slashers from 1980 and 1981 that still all feature, like, these hard 70s aesthetic to them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of... This, this one was so interesting because, like, you really see the 80s aesthetic come in. Yeah, mm -hmm. and that's kind of like that's kind of an outlier from the rest of those films. I actually felt like the fashion design was the strongest part of this film. It actually was. Yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. uh, another interesting thing we noticed was that there's a lot of 
close-ups on body parts. Mm-hmm. So um, hands, mouths. There's several scenes of people brushing hair in like kind of a fetishy way. Mm-hmm. And there also is a lot of shoes. Um, Lots of shoes. Lots of shoes. Yeah. Not feet. But shoes. Yeah, shoes. tons of shots of shoes from high heels to cowboy boots to sneakers. And the the shots of shoes are generally kind of either they're the brightest part of the scene or they're like central uh, in the camera angle. Yeah, it's like they're kind of like, yeah, they're framed centrally or it lingers just a teeny bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and because I know there's kind of this general theory that it's like amongst filmmakers who are men, which vast fucking majority of it like they will reveal their fetishes through their work intentionally (laughs) or unintentionally and so we're gonna kind of have to pay attention to the jess franco films and kind of really see what he begins to focus in on i mean i would say for this one the biggest thing you noticed was like definitely had like some hair brushing definitely the shoes and then obviously there was a lot of topless scenes in this film so yeah a lot of boobs a lot of nipples so i think that also was just like kind of par for the course of the time. Yes. Yeah. To to have kind of um gratuitous shots of like toplessness. Mm-hmm. Um even more interesting than that, I would say, is all the voyeurism that that's yeah. in this movie. There is a ridiculous amount. There's a child who watches through a window as a woman gets menaced and then murdered. There's uh the guy with the nose print on the glass. There's a bunch of women who sneak up on their friend while she's uh, ostensibly having sex with someone, but really she's just bouncing around on the bed and moaning for, you know, to impress them that she's sleeping Mm. with someone or something. But, um, yeah, the way they all, like, peer into windows and try and find an open window or door, it's like a five-minute scene of them trying to peek in on her. I have a question. Is this actually the horror version of the movie Porky's? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, we don't really have, like, the quite literal peeping into the girls' locker room scene, but, like, I would say, like, well, let's sit back and maybe, like, exert some of uh, Jess Franco's other films, because I have a feeling mm-hmm. that women behind bars might have um, <laughs> some scenes like that. That's, like, if there's going to be one movie that I'm gonna willing to put some money down on, and we're going to have, like, a Porky-style scene, yeah, it's going to be that one. <laughs> and, yeah, it's like... And actually, is like this. Some of the kills and, and and the setting of the film is 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 very specific and rather interesting. It seems to be somewhere in southern Spain because kind of a, a, a one location we continue to come back to is this kind of rather lavish manor with this just amazingly beautiful Moorish architecture all around. And it's like, okay, this is a this movie is in Spain and nowhere <laughs> else, you know. <laughs> so, um. Well, with this movie, of course, you know, it's a video nasty, and I wanted to ask, um, are there any kills anybody really wants to talk about? Because this is a slasher movie, and people usually rent and watch these kind of movies to uh, see the kills, so any kills stand out for anybody here? I mean, not for a good reason. The one that stands (laughs) out the most is a woman who gets beheaded by a uh, a stone stone quarry saw, Um, and... It is really fake. It's very clearly a mannequin head. And during this kill, we were all giggling, um, <laughs> which was not the intended effect. It was very, very fake looking. Some of yeah. the other kills were decent, but honestly, I think if they had cut that scene out, 
the other kills would have looked better. It would have, like, brought the the quality of the kills in this movie up quite a bit. Yeah, and it's like, I feel like they also could have, like, I mean, obviously, they had the whole fake head and the blood spurting out of the neck effect, so, like, they want to keep that in. But it could have been much more effective had they, like, pretty much not even shown that and just had, like, the blade come down and just, like, a splash of blood come mm-hmm. up. Yeah. Just because, like, frankly, the effect was so fucking phony that end up kind of ruining it. Yeah, it's it like with, Like, literally kind of doing, like, the, you know, woman you know, initially tied down for what appears to be, you know, sexual bondage purposes onto this large rock at this stone-cutting facility. And then, of course, the killer just turning on the machine, just like, you know, as you see this huge fucking saw blade in the background. (laughs) (laughs) And almost, like, quite literally doing the, no, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die kind of moment thing, like, where it slowly moves towards it. And then, yeah. So, I mean, it's like, it was a good set piece, but it was just kind of ruined. Yeah. I've... Okay, one thing that tripped me out the first time I watched it, I was like, like when the 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 guy who kills the woman at the beginning of the movie, where he where he's wearing the mask and tricks her into thinking mm-hmm. that he's her boyfriend, and then ends up killing her, is like he puts on a Mickey Mouse mask. Like I was like, could you come up with anything less like threatening than a Mickey Mouse mask? I was just. I was just, like, I was kind of hoping he'd, like, hold the knife above her and use a Mickey Mouse voice and, like, say something. <laughs> like, oh, I will kill you. <laughs> yeah, I found that really creepy, and then they really didn't use it. <laughs> well, I mean, I think I would just say that this is actually, like, a, con- a preliminary commentary on the monopolization of Disney and what it does to other art forms. <laughs> and how he could, you know, just make it really is just kind of, like, you had a prophetic vision of like what was the future if we allow this corporation to continue to take over you know he's just going to rape and murder the rest of our culture i mean so i mean that's how i interpreted the scene i mean well, mickey mouse did buy out buy out star wars so let's just let's just be honest yeah George and literally was... lobbied the congress to change our copyright laws so that they can continue to have mickey mouse not enter the public domain <laughs> wow which actually, uh, that is uh, about to come up pretty quick. So let's see what fuckery they'll pull out of their ass and fuck us <laughs> over on next. Some. My thought when I saw the Mickey Mouse mask was, oh, this was before they would sue for everything. Yeah. Because now you you really don't want to mess with their copyrights because they will go after you, and they have lots of lawyers with lots of time. Which really does make me wonder of like. Of all the people, how did South Park get away with having Mickey Mouse do the shit he did? Uh, <laughs> Wasn't it, uh, you were talking to me about parody laws before? Well, like... like, I don't know, but Disney is very litigious over some of their stuff, so it's like, mm-hmm. technically you get away with parody, but I think that may be because Comedy Central had enough money to probably fight Disney, whereas, like, smaller places, like, you know, Disney famously sued a preschool because they had a mural with Mickey Mouse on it because they don't have any fucking money to fight back against it. Right. Yeah. They they will just keep suing and keep it in court until businesses go under. Well, I do know some a smaller artist who has gotten away with a Mickey Mouse parody, uh, Alec Robbins, uh, with his uh, comic uh, Mr. Boop, which, if you haven't read that, holy shit, go fucking look up Mr. Boop. It's fucking amazing. Um, well, it basically has, like, naked Mickey Mouse with a fucking huge boner just like talk you know like jerking off and just like talking about all the various people other cartoon characters he's fucked along the way <laughs> and accidentally <laughs> running into um the creator and his wife Betty Boop in a grocery store while he's with Walt Disney and having to awkwardly not recognize them <laughs> so for our listeners uh right now so so this this current um 
this current rant we've been going on about Disney, that kind of actually tells you how interesting this movie is as a whole. <laughs> yes. That we're trying to fill out our 30 to 40 minutes by rambling about Disney for the next 20 minutes because there's not a whole lot to talk about with this movie. Yeah, it's like, and it's interesting. They, they bring, it's like, yeah, the, the movie, it, it brings, like, it, it touches upon certain ideas, but then it seems like it doesn't really fully flush them out because, like, yeah. they have, like, the overbearing elderly mother in a wheelchair kind of trope um like i mean it ends up really just being a direct psycho ripoff as you know we end up yeah. finding her upstairs in front of the fireplace and oh my god she's dead and is decaying actually and yeah, but then it was just straight up theft yeah it really was just that <laughs> but then you figure oh there's gonna be some more stuff that goes along in between there and nope not really no, no just kind of she just acts like kind of a bitch in the beginning and then uh we see her once or twice more and then that's kind of it <laughs> yeah and i think I think this movie has can actually thank the video nasties law because I can't imagine a circumstance where I like would have actually heard of this movie if it wasn't on the list, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like, like I can't think of any other reason I'd be like, oh, I need to watch Bloody Moon now. I mean, I guess the the only real reason I think is if you were just gonna really go do a deep dive on Jess Franco. I mean, yeah. just because this seems to be, I've kind of heard that this is one of his more accessible films. Uh, just before you kind of really kind of get into the deeper cuts. Well, because he's like <laughs> the Skinamax movie. Well, <laughs> actually, it's true, because like, he's had an insanely long career. I think he started working in the 60s and pretty much worked up until his death, which I think sometime in either the 2000s or 20-teens. Uh, mm. And, you know, kind of in between, like, he mostly dealt in the horror genre, but he also delved into, I think, by the 80s and 90s, a couple action films. Uh, and then yeah, Skinamax movies. Yeah, and um, I, I used to grow up watching a lot of those, so I've probably seen some Jess Franco work that I didn't know was Jess Franco. So. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I guess, there, and so obviously we're going to end up coming back to him a bit more and reviewing some of his stuff and kind of seeing how our tastes with his films are going to evolve. And frankly, this our, our opinion of this movie might drastically change based on the other things we've seen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know he's done a couple of uh, Cannibal Holocaust knockoff movies. Those will be fun to review. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then, oh, yeah. Actually, that reminds me. There was an interesting scene with a oh, live yeah. snake. Yep, they kill where, a snake. Yeah, they kill a snake. Boy, things have changed. Um, yeah. Yeah, we were... I think all pretty shocked that um, they like snipped the head off a live snake in the in the movie. Yeah, I figured they would have just done a fake one, just had, like had a little blood tube come down it, but just because, just like, I mean, it would seem par for course for the rest of the film. But it's like, mm-hmm. no, no, let's get fucking real with it now. Yeah, yeah, everything else was pretty damn fake, but that was real and honestly. That was, to me, one of the more disturbing parts of the film. Yeah, it was upsetting. Yeah. yeah they did the same thing in the first Friday the 13th movie. At the beginning of the movie, That's there's right. actually a snake that gets killed. Like, and I found out later as doing research uh, about Friday the 13th for, for our review for it. It's like, um, yeah, it's like that was a live snake. It seemed like around that time it was just like snakes had no rights. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's like, well, I you know, I think that might be something... Probably before we do the Cannibal Holocaust episode, we might need to be a good idea to delve into kind of the actual history of animal rights within films. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I know it's like there 
you know, it, it's kind of been a long one, but, like, when do they truly begin to, like, almost be universally enforced? Mm-hmm. Because it's, like, you don't really see very many foreign productions. I mean, right now, I think, especially, like, foreign productions that weren't Hollywood could probably continue to get away with it. But, you know, as time has gone on, I, we see that less and less and less. You know, it's to the point where it's, like, I think the most maybe the most infamous kind of more quote-unquote modern film would be, was it Milo and Otis, that uh, beloved kind of children's uh, live-action film about, like, a, uh, you know, a little cat and a little puppy who, you know, go on an adventure together. Yeah, um, yeah well, uh, turns out uh, they killed about six to eight cats and dogs on the course of that film. It was a really <laughs> sketchy Japanese production company who made it. And, uh, yeah, that... <laughs> Yeah, no, it, like that. Is, honestly, that's a really fucked up movie. Once you learn the history of it, it's like, oh, yeah, oh yeah, you know what? They're going over the waterfall. Yeah, yeah, they they didn't make it through. I'm oh, gonna say, yeah. God, it, it's really upsetting. Childhood fave ruined. <laughs> no, big time. If one deserves to get ruined, it's that one. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, uh, yeah, that was a uh, that was. Yeah, what, one part of my childhood, one of the few wholesome movies I watched growing up. <laughs> of course it has some disturbing-ass backstory. Well, see, that it psychically affected you, whether or not you realized it or not. You know, it's like, it was just coming up to this moment. I really thought it was the same dog and cat, and I'm actually kind of sad now. Yeah, that's really, um... For a family-friendly movie for cat and dog lovers, that's a shocking standard of care yeah because i think that movie was also made in the late 80s mm-hmm. so it's like the mid to late 80s so kind of a, i think by that point it kind of become pretty standard that's like yeah you don't actually you know there's kind of some animal ethics going on in films at the time mm-hmm. we'll definitely give you a much deeper dive when we do yeah. the Campbell holocaust episode because well when we're going to talk about that one yeah animal abuse is kind of pretty fucking high up as to why that movie is so fucking banned yeah and um i'm, I'm just gonna quote gary Busey right now and i am gonna say learning about milo and otis you get a 50 dollar fine for ruining my day <laughs> that's my judgment bang 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 <laughs> yeah there's an animal court show that's uh hosted by gary Busey. And oh it's my fantastic oh. it's beautiful i highly recommend it oh my god I've you been, need to see it actually i've never heard of this <laughs> oh my god i need to see this <laughs> I think I discovered it house sitting. No surprise. No, it was me. Oh, it was you. You discovered it. That's right. I was like, you're going to love this. It's a train wreck. <laughs> oh, my God. This sounds absolutely fantastic. Yeah. It's so, a beautiful show. Bring it back around. <laughs> oh, yeah. To more talking the, about the only it. thing, I, I think we, you touched on it much earlier in the review, Al, but this movie is very clearly dubbed. It, it, it's pretty heavily dubbed, and... It's, it's, you know, we've seen some dubbed films before, and they've actually, some of them have actually been okay. It's like, oh, the dubbing is actually just fine. But, yeah, this one, it, it's, like, it's not the worst I've ever seen, but, yeah, it's very odd. It's, like, kind of, like, odd speech cadences, yeah. and, uh, it, it's not, yeah, it's not quite as, like, egregious as some of, like, um, say some, like, you know, the Hong Kong action films where it's like, oh, you're not even fucking trying here. <laughs> but it's like, okay, just, like, the dialogue becomes strangely stilted and use some mm-hmm. odd words and, you know, to, to kind of try and, you know, stretch out the sentence to make it match the, or match in air quotes, uh, yeah. the actor's lips. So just, that's kind of a big part of the film. And like, like you said, yeah, it may have been better just to find like a truly subtitled version of the film, but to yeah. be fair, 
I don't know that that actually exists. Yeah. Because I think this, uh, I think most of his movies were made uh, with the intention for English language audiences, at least certainly by the 80s. I mean, you know, he definitely did make a lot of Spanish language films um, that were, you know, throughout the Franco era. And I'll link a good podcast, The Important Cinema Club. Uh, they did an epi- two episodes about uh, Jess Franco. Uh, and so if you want to go into a real fucking deep dive on that guy, um, take a look in the show notes because, uh, it's a pretty fantastic episode they have. When you say the Franco era, are you talking about just Franco or Franco in well, politics? Both. Yeah. <laughs> because yes, he was, uh, just, I mean, they talk about this in the important cinema club. I'm going to cite my sources here, but basically he was able to get away with making horror films during the Francisco Franco era of Spain. Um, you know, which was a dictatorship, and partially by having them be joint French-Spanish productions and having the films technically be set in Spain, but in actuality it's like... Or no, sorry, technically be set in France, but in actuality they make no efforts other than maybe just having a subtitle of France, 1478, you know? <laughs> and just, like, clearly just do it in a fucking Spanish castle somewhere. <laughs> but just, like, he was the one guy who was like, okay, I'm able to get through the censors. So, yeah, and just, you know, he wouldn't, he could not be stopped from making movies. <laughs> He's like a bullet train. No, for real, you know, it's like, I mean, once again, I, I really can't recommend that other episode of uh, Important Cinema Club enough because they really go into, like, his filmmaking really did seem like it was a compulsion for him. Yeah. And, like, he was almost quite literally addicted to making movies and just could not stop himself. Which is why he has over 200 directorial credits. I really want to see Lula's Talking Ass. Like, yeah. That, that, just, what that a title. title. <laughs> Some of the alternate titles, it's like Lulu's Talking Butthole, Lulu's Talking Bunghole. Um, <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, we're, we might definitely need to take a look into a couple of the other Jess Franco films that don't quite, that didn't make the video nasties. Definitely Vampirus Lesbos, and if we can find Lulu's talking ass, you know what? Fuck it. The title's just amazing. Let's, let's go for it. <laughs> like, we won't even, like, it, whether it's censored or not, we just do an episode on that. Be like, you know what? This movie wasn't banned, but you know what? Who cares? Probably you know, it's called... To be. Might as well, then. <laughs> Lulu's talking ass. I mean, I'm sure it's probably a hard movie to get, hey, like, find on Netflix or if, something. If anything... <laughs> We will just, we might not even do a full episode on it, but just give you a little report back and see what we mm, find. Yeah. That's a great idea. Do the Franco corner. <laughs> Franco. Yeah, I'm, wow, I'm, I'm sort of uh, running out of no, uh, things yeah. to say you know what, I think, uh, I think we've said what we have to say. I mean, unless anyone has anything else to add. Any not ju- a thing. <laughs> no Jerry Springer final thoughts. Nope, I think, I think our, our final thoughts have been put down in the last 30 minutes. Yep, uh, wrap it up. So, uh, I have been Ashley McNasty. I'm the Mysterious Al. And I'm Elmo415. Stay nasty. Stay nasty. Stay nasty. Listen to me, and to me, while I tell you, me in. of the Spaniard that blighted my life. La, 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 la.
la la la. Listen to me. And to me. While I tell you. Oh, I hear you. Of the man who stole my future wife. La 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 la. Was that the bullfight where we met him? Yeah, yeah. We'd been watching his daring display. Oh, the smoke. And while I went out. For some nuts and a program, the dirty dog stole her away. The pig. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. But I've sworn that I'll have my revenge. Yes, he swears that he'll have his revenge. If I catch Alfonso Spagoni, the Toreador, he'll rule. With one mighty swipe, I will dislocate his manicure. Oh, and he will. Oh, he will. I'll find this bullfighter, I will. And when I catch him, the blighter I'll kill. He shall die. He shall die. He shall die. He shall die. He shall die till I tie, 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 tie. He shall die. I'll kill him. He shall die. I'll fracture him. I'll raise a bunion on his Spanish onion if I catch him bending tonight. When he gets ah, that spagoni, ah, he will wish that he'd never been born. Ah, And for that ah, special reason, ah, his stiletto he's fetched out upon. Ah, it cost me five shillings to fetch it. Ah, pretty penny. The expense it has caused me much pain. Well, rather. But the pawnbroker promised when I've killed Spagoni, he'll take it in pawn once again. That's nice. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. So tonight there will be dirty work. So tonight there will be dirty work. Tweety, tweety, tweet, tweety, tweet, tweety, tweet, Huh. I don't think that fits. What, that note? Yeah. Well, take it out, wear it a while, bring it back. Think we should continue? Well, we'll go to jail for doing this. <laughs> I'll raise a bunion on his Spanish onion if I catch him bending tonight. La, 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 la. 